1-800-227-5569. Portions of the following program may be pre-recorded. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. There is a judgment greater than anything you've ever known. And it won't be long. Your life will pass by as a vapor and you will stand before the judgment seat of God. And every secret deed and thought Every wrinkle, every spot will be in view Before the one who knows all things The Lord of Lord and King of Kings You know the one you never knew While you have breath You have a choice to make in life Turn away from your sin And believe on the risen Christ You can find peace in Him From the judgment that's to come He is the shelter from the coming storm All creation shakes at the mention of his name. He has power over life and death. Every knee will bow and tongue confess. Heaven and earth will proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of the Father will you bow. He can save you from the might of all your sin This is the fight in which He stands In perfect victory While you have breath You have a choice to make in life Turn away from your sin And believe on the risen Christ You can find peace in Him From the judgment that's to come Shelter from the coming storm While you have breath You have a choice to make in life Turn away from all your sin And believe on the risen Christ can find peace in him from the judgment that's to come. He is a shelter from the coming storm. He's the only shelter from
from the coming storm. Lord Jesus, you are the joy of my life. Your gospel is a wonderful word of powerful encouragement. It gives me a purpose for being alive. Lord Jesus, I love you and I trust you, and you are everything to me. I praise you today. And I ask that as we open your scriptures today, that you will come in power and healing and freedom for those bound in captivity of sin. Lord, would you come in mighty power today? And I will praise you and honor you. For you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, but you are also the very joy of my heart. I pray your blessing for each person who will listen today, that they would not be stubborn of heart, that they would not compromise. Lord, come and bring deliverance. Thank you, Jesus. I pray in your holy name, in the name that is above all names, the name of Jesus. Amen. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. I want to share with you a message today coming straight out of the Gospel of John. It will challenge you, but it will also bring great joy to your heart if you will follow what the Word of God says. We begin in the Gospel of John, the first chapter. Jesus has just been introduced by John the Baptist as the one who would save his people from their sins. For Jesus, it's all about sin. He came to deliver the human heart from sin, to set us free. The first disciples are called John, Peter, James, Nathaniel. There are probably five or six that we have that are invited to go with Jesus and his mother to a family wedding. We find that story in chapter 2 of the book of John. This was three days after the introduction. I don't know how they spent those three days. I would love to have spent them with Jesus and the disciples. I'm sure they were getting acquainted and finding out who this teacher was. And was he truly the Messiah? The son of the living God, the only begotten of the father. Well, they go to the wedding feast, and as was typical in that day, it was a long-lasting feast, not just a couple of hours, but rather maybe up to a week. It gave time for people to get acquainted and to reestablish friendships. It was party time. Now, these were probably, for the most part, godly Jewish people. I've learned that no one can party like the Jewish people. I love to go to Jewish weddings. I love the Jewish dances and the music. Well, the family that was in charge had not made proper arrangements for adequate wine. Now, there is much argument, but please, I'm not going to argue out of my own philosophy or my own understanding. The scriptures are very plain. I love what this new prime minister of Italy said as she introduced herself. She said, I'm an Italian. 
I'm a woman and I'm a mother. If you look at a duck, you know it's a duck. If you look at a cat, you know what a cat is. If you look at a horse, you know what a horse is. If you look at a woman, you know what a woman is. She is a woman. And she said, I'm also a mother. Well, in this passage, when we look at wine, it is wine. It's wine. Grape juice that was not fermented was not called wine in that day. So let's go by simply what the scriptures teach. They were drinking wine and they ran out. And this would cause shame for the family that brought them to the wedding. Jesus is evidently a part of the family of this wedding host. And she immediately goes to Jesus and she says, they've run out of wine. That's catastrophic. They have no wine. And Jesus speaks to her and says, Jesus, very kindly, he was not being rude to her. He said to her, what does that have to do with us? In other words, that's not my responsibility, nor is it your responsibility. And then he adds this sentence that gives us a whole new understanding for the rest of the passage. He says to her, my hour is not yet come. Now, some of the commentators on this scripture that I looked at said what he was meaning was, it's not my time to begin to perform miracles. I don't believe that's what he meant at all. Jesus' hour was when he was crucified. He came to destroy the work of the devil. And the only way he could destroy the work of the devil was to die on Calvary's tree. There was no other way. He asked the Father, Isn't there another way? But your will be done. In other words, Jesus' hour was the hour of his crucifixion. And so we have to read the rest of this passage of Scripture with the understanding that Jesus, in his heart, was thinking about his final hour. He was not thinking about, oh, tomorrow I'll begin to do miracles, or next week I'll do some miracles. No. Come on. It's very clear. His heart was on my crucifixion is not yet time. His mother probably had often called on Jesus to solve some problem that she was facing. And so he, she simply said in the scripture, chapter 2 of John, verse 5, his mother said to the servants, whatever he may say to you, you must do. Now, there were six stone water pots standing nearby. Probably everyone there had used water out of those water pots, dipping it out and then using it for the ceremonial cleansing, the washing of the feet, the washing of the hands. And those jars were now empty. Now there were six stone water pots standing there according to the purification of the Jews, each one holding 20 to 30 gallons. Now, all the commentators disagree on how much was actually contained in those water jars. For me, that's not the important issue. For me, the important issue is that these six stone water pots were understood by everyone there to be the water of purification. I want you to, to hear that. 
This was for the water of purification. Jesus could have provided the wine for this banquet in many different ways, but he chooses to go the way of the water of purification. Jesus said to them, you must fill the water pots with water. They filled them to the brim. And he said to them, you must dip out now and carry it to the master of the feast. And they carried it to him. Now, when the master of the feast tasted the water, having been made wine and had not known where it is from, but from the servants, they had known the ones having dipped out the water. The master of the feast calls the bridegroom and says to him, every man sets out the fine wine, and when they may be made drunk, then the inferior wine. You have reserved the good wine until now. In other words, you have reserved the good wine until after people are getting drunk, after they've had much to drink. And now this master of the feast is saying, You've brought the most wonderful wine. Well, let's think a little bit about this. This is wine that is not produced out of grapes. This is a different kind of wine that Jesus is bringing to the feast. What kind of wine is he bringing? He's bringing wine out of the water of purification. So he is bringing to the people water turned into a wine that doesn't make them drunk, but a wine that instead washes them and purifies them as he's thinking about his hour when he dies on Calvary's tree. And his blood will then wash and cleanse the people. And so now he is looking forward to that time. And he is providing a different kind of wine than the party goers were expecting. He is offering a wine that is out of the waters of purification, not out of a grape. So this wine is obviously not what they would expect. But obviously the taste was wonderful and effervescent, filled with joy. It must have been the most delicious drink of wine they had ever had. But it was not the wine of the grape. It was the wine of the water of purification. When I saw that, my heart leapt with joy. The world drinks a wine that makes you drunk, that makes you senseless. And many of you have been caught in the wine of the world. In fact, all of us were caught in the wine of the world. And all of us were drunk. I'll share that out of 1 John in just a few minutes. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If anyone says they have not sinned, they're a liar. We have all sinned, and we have all fallen short, and we all need the wine of God, the wine of Jesus, that cleanses a man, that brings effervescent joy to his heart, that tastes incredibly well. It is pleasing to the heart, because it is unto eternity eternal life. It is the joy of Jesus. It is everything to us. Some of you, as you listen today, are still taking the wine of the world and you are walking in desperate wickedness before God. And there's no joy in your heart. Instead, there's a desperate reaching out, trying to find something that will give me life. And you have not found life yet. 
please may I say to you very kindly, there is only one source of life, and that is the blood that comes out of the wine of God, the purification of God. Jesus said, my blood is real drink and my body is real food, that you must drink my blood and eat my body. He's speaking, obviously, in spiritual terms, but what does he mean? He showed us at this wedding feast. He produces out of the water of purification a new life. Jesus could not come to this wedding feast and produce more wine to make more people drunk and in their drunkenness to act in ways that would be ungodly and wicked. Jesus would have no part of that. I've gone to parties where I have been invited and the alcohol was freely flowing and the voices became increasingly loud and lewd until finally I walked away, got in my car and with great sadness drove away. Jesus is not going to provide that kind of atmosphere. But the result of what he has done Verse 11 says, Jesus did this, the beginning of the signs in Cana of Galilee, and manifested his glory. It would not have been manifesting his glory if he had created wine out of a grape and had encouraged them to be more drunken. No, no. He provided wine out of the water of purification. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness. It restores us. It carries our sins away. The captivity of our heart is our sin. The misery of our life is our sin. Sin has never brought anything to us except a temporary charge. And then as the lust burns out in our heart, we are left with ashes in our mouths. Have you awakened in the morning and found ashes in your mouth and a headache? Sin always brings misery and death and sickness as the lust of our soul burns itself out, going after what we desire, we must have this. No, the water of purification, the blood of Jesus, it does not give us a headache in the morning. It doesn't leave us with ashes in our mouth. Yesterday I said, You must get to Jesus. Why would I say you must get to Jesus? Because only Jesus can provide you with the joy of life. The the devil is a liar and a cheater. He is a thief and he will come and steal your beauty. He will steal your life. He will destroy you. I want Jesus. I want Jesus. It is with great joy that I come and say to you, I love Jesus Christ because he has cleansed my life. He's purified my soul. He's taken away those wicked lusts of the human heart. He has removed that from me. I praise his name. I worship him. Glory to the name of Jesus. I want to show you more. 
in the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verse 7. He's speaking about Jesus. He says, in whom we have the redemption by means of his blood. What is redemption? Redemption is buying something back, redeeming it. The little boy who went with his daddy and bought all the supplies and they carefully built a sailboat. They put a sail on it and then they took it down to the little creek and they began to sail the boat. But a gust of wind came and it took it away from them and they couldn't catch it. The little boy was heartbroken. He'd lost his boat. But that week, he and Daddy went downtown, and as they passed the pawn shop, they saw in the window the little boat. And the boy said, Daddy, that's my boat. We built that boat. So they went into the pawn shop, and the little boy said, My boat is in your window. I built it. And the owner of the pawn shop said to him, I'm sorry, son. I bought that boat. That boat belongs to me. So daddy said, how much do you want for it? He gave him the price. And daddy bought the boat. As the little boy was walking out, holding, clutching that boat in his arms, he said, I built you. And daddy bought you. You're mine. Well, you see what I'm trying to say to you. Jesus Christ created us and gave us a place to live. And the devil came and seduced our heart and stole us away from God. And we were created in the image of Adam and Eve and after their likeness. So we too were created with that wicked inner being. And Jesus came and paid the price to take us home. I want you to hear that. The price was paid on Calvary that Jesus might own you. You can resist, and you can say, I want the wine of this world. I don't want the wine of Jesus. I don't want the blood of Jesus to wash me or to cleanse me. I've had people tell me that. Don't talk to me, preacher, about Jesus. I'm done with it. I belong to darkness, and I know I'm going to hell, but so what? Oh, I tremble at the arrogance of man before the holy God of heaven. I tremble. So now, Ephesians, the first chapter, verse 7, in whom we have redemption by means of his blood, the forgiveness of sins, The Greek word is aphemy. It means literally the removal of sin. We cannot be saved and still walk in sin. What were you saved from and what were you saved to? Do you see how foolish it is to even imagine that I can be a sinning Christian? No, I am utterly totally, completely given over to Jesus Christ because he has removed my sin according to the riches of his grace, which he granted freely unto us all in all conceivable wisdom and understanding, having made known to us the mercy and the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he proposed in himself in the course of management of the fullness of the time. Jesus did this. Jesus did this. 
Jesus paid the price for you. So when I come and I talk to you about salvation, when I come and talk to you about Jesus, some of you want to go and drink the world's wine. And then you want to go to the house of the Lord and you want to have a drink of heaven's wine. They don't mix. They will make you sick. They will kill you. You cannot belong to the world and the devil and the flesh and to Jesus at the same time. Tomorrow, I'm going to read some detailed descriptions of past men preaching the gospel concerning praying through in the work of repentance. It's necessary that we understand there is a process we go through by which Jesus comes in his power and his glory and applies what he did at the cross to your life and to mine. And the way we enter into that is through the door of repentance. Charles Finney made the decision. He was an attorney. He made the decision those many years ago that he was going to get in the presence of God, and he was going to make peace with God for the salvation of his soul. So he went way out in the woods where nobody would see him or suspect that he was praying. And he knelt down, and he discovered he could not pray. He was silent. His words were simply absent. He could not cry out. There was a block until he almost totally despaired of ever being able to repent before God. And then the Holy Spirit stepped in and said to him, your pride is blocking you. In other words, start your repentance about your pride, your haughtiness of spirit, your lack of humility. That's a good place for you and for me to go when we need to repent. I've noticed that people come to church and many times they're not able to pray. Why? Pride. Pride. Pride shuts our mouths. Pride blocks us from the grace of Jesus Christ. Now I've also found that at times it's been very difficult for me to pray. There's been a block. I've seared my heart or my mind with something the Lord did not want me to look at or to talk about or to deal with. And then pride steps in and says, you can't pray. Look what you've done. Look who you are. You're not worthy of being in the presence of God. He's not going to receive you. Forget it. No. I cast my pride down to the earth. And I say, I will pray. And I begin to plead. The wine of God, the wine of Jesus, his precious blood, to wash me and humble my heart. Hebrews, the ninth chapter, I'll begin reading in verse 11. But Christ, having appeared, a high priest of good things, having already happened through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with human hands, this is not of this creation neither by means of blood of goats or calves, but by means of the blood of his own. He entered once and for all into the holies, he and no other, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the one having been ceremonially defiled makes holy ceremonially for the purity of the flesh, how much more the blood of Jesus who through his eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, will cleanse your conscience 
from dead works to serve a living God. Some of you are having a hard time praying because your conscience is guilty. And people will say to you, oh, don't worry about it. You're saved. I can't tell you how many people have said to me in the past, oh, pastor, you're overly concerned. Relax. Jesus paid it all at the cross. No, Jesus did not pay it for me at the cross. He made arrangements for me to have it all paid in my behalf. We come to Jesus with a filthy conscience. And some of you today, last night, were in the bed of fornication. You were sitting in front of your computer masturbating. Some of you were drunk last night. Some of you were proud, arrogant before God last night. Some of you were counting your money and thinking about how wonderful it was that you have enough money to pay all the bills and and everything is covered and it's all due to your hard work. You're an entrepreneur. Look what you've done. In one moment, God can cut you down. In one moment, God can cut you down as you follow the way of darkness and you drink the wine of the flesh. There's another passage we won't go to today where Jesus would not, in the book of John, would not trust himself to men because it said he knew what was in every man. What is in every man and every woman? The lust of the flesh, the desire for self-ascendancy, to be somebody, to be loved, to be cared for, to be productive, to be everything we want to be. And we have a guilty conscience. Some of you have almost destroyed your life with your sin. You're caught in the trap of sin and you you say, Pastor, I can't break this drug habit. I can't break this alcoholism. Please feel sorry for me. No. No. I said yesterday, if you didn't listen, please go back and do so. There is a way of escape. I'm not going to feel sorry for you. There is, an, there is a place of rescue. It says, God will cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve a living God. I don't know about you, but for me, that's awesome news. And then if you look over here in the next chapter, in chapter 10, let me begin reading for you at verse 11. Now every priest has stood day by day ministering and offering the same sacrifice often that can never take away sins. And by the way, we do that today. We punish ourselves for our sin. And we think that by punishing ourselves, our conscience is going to feel better. We may deny ourselves something that we really want because I've got to pay a price for my sin. No. No. Verse 19, having therefore, brethren, confidence for the entrance into the holies by the blood of Jesus, not by your paying a price. It's by the blood of Jesus. A new and living way which he opened for us through the curtain, that is his flesh. He opened a place for us that is not from the law. It is from the cross. He made the provision for us having a great high priest over the house of God. May we draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, our hearts having been sprinkled from an evil conscience. If your conscience is still evil, if you found no peace yet for your sin, 
it's because you have not done a complete work of repentance and you're still with one foot in the world and one foot trying to put it in the camp of Jesus. You've got to do a full work of confession and repentance, leaving that sin. The body having been washed with, get it, pure water. The blood of Jesus comes out of the water of purification, not out of a grape. Verse 23, may we hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for the one having promised is faithful. And may we consider one another to encourage love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and by so much more as you see the day approaching. The day of Jesus is fast approaching. The final day is coming. You need to be in the body of Christ, a true body of Christ, a place where you are taught not the sinning Christian lie, but the purification by the blood of Jesus that cleanses you from all sin and removes the lust of the heart from your, from your very body and mind. Verse 26, now willingly considering, now willingly continuing to sin, after we have received clear knowledge of the truth, a sacrifice no longer remains concerning sins. In other words, if you hear this word that I'm preaching to you, but you continue willfully to sin against God by drinking the wine of this world, There's no longer a sacrifice for you. The provision of God is removed. And all you can expect is judgment and destruction. It says, verse 27, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment, even the fury of the fire being on the point to consuming the adversary. In other words, you will be consumed with fire if you do not respond to the message I'm sharing with you and you believe that you can continue to follow Jesus and walk in your sin, then the scripture says the fire of God is going to consume you and you will be cast out of the kingdom of heaven. Anyone having rejected the law of Moses dies without mercy upon the word of two or three witnesses. By how much worse punishment do you think he will be considered worthy of the one having trampled the Son of God underfoot? In fact, having regarded the blood of the covenant by which he was made holy a common thing, even having insulted the Spirit of grace, now we understand the one having said, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. Jesus died on the cross. That was not easy to do. The provision is made. And if you spurn that provision and you say, preacher, I just want to be a cultural Christian. I want to live my normal life. I want to have the things that I enjoy. I want the entertainment I want. I'm not going to come across that line and belong totally to Jesus. It costs too much. Then the Lord says, vengeance belongs to me and I will repay. And again, it says, the Lord will judge his people. It is it is fearful to fall into the hands of a living God. But you must call to remembrance the earlier days in which after having been enlightened, you endured great struggling and suffering, reproaches, persecution, exposed to public shame. You know what I'm expecting? I'm expecting at some point that everything I have will be confiscated. I'm expecting at some point to lose everything 
that I consider necessary for my life. Shelter over my head, clothing to wear, money to pay the rent. It's okay. I'm willing to lose everything for the sake of knowing Jesus Christ and him crucified. I am willing to pay whatever price is necessary for drinking the wine from the water of purification, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Well, as we wrap up today, I have one more short passage that I want to share. I don't have time to go into the depths of its meaning, but I'm going to simply share it with you as an encouragement. This is 1 John, the first chapter. I'll begin at verse 5. And this is the message which we have heard from him and report back to you that God is light and that there is no darkness in him. Everything of darkness has to be removed from your heart and from your life. What would Jesus do? Where would Jesus go? Would he go to that club? Would he go grind on Mary? I don't think so. (laughs) No, he would not. Would Jesus lie? Would he cheat? Would he abuse the people around him? Never. There's no darkness in Jesus. There's no selfishness. There's no ugliness. His blood is effervescent. It brings life to us. It is full of joy. It is wonderful. It is the most powerful element in all of the universe. Redemption is the most astonishing miracle that a man or woman can be pulled from the wretchedness of the darkness of this world and be totally transformed and changed into a new creature with a heart full of joy and compassion and mercy and sacrifice, a heart full of love. It's the most astonishing thing in the world. If we may say that we have fellowship with him and yet we may walk in darkness, we lie to ourselves and do not do the truth. Please. That's not what I'm saying. That's what the word of God says. That's what Jesus is saying through John. If we may say that we have fellowship with him, and yet we may walk in the darkness, we lie to ourselves and do not the truth. So I say, I'm a Christian, I'm following Jesus. And then the next moment I'm walking into a theater and watching an ugly, sinful, wicked movie. You're lying to yourself, you're not a Christian. If you go out on the dance floor and you dance with all of the sexual lust of your heart, you're not a Christian. If you fill your heart with the pornography, the pride, the arrogance, the haughtiness, then you've not really been converted yet. I'm not saying that Jesus is not working in your heart. He is. But the day will come when he will cut you off if you do not fully come into his kingdom. And no man knows when his cup of iniquity is full. But when it is full, it is over. Verse 7, But if we may keep walking in the light, just as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from every conceivable sin. If we may say that we have no sin, as did the Gnostics of that day, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We do need Jesus. 
verse 9, if we may be in agreement with God with respect to our sins, he is faithful and righteous so that he may remove the sin with reference to us and may cleanse us from every conceivable unrighteousness. I want you to hear that very clearly. Jesus will remove every sin from your heart. It's not by hard work. It's not by white-knuckling it. It's by coming to Jesus and agreeing with him regarding our pride or agreeing with him regarding our jealousy or agreeing with him on our drunkenness in the world's wicked ways. Repentance means I've come into agreement with God and I hate my sin and I renounce it and I leave it. Well, we're out of time for today's broadcast. Please, I would love to hear from you. I'd even more love to see you if you would come and worship with us. I don't recruit. I'm not going to push anybody. You come as the Holy Spirit calls you. You're responsible. You may get mad at what I say. That's your responsibility. You work it out with God. You can write to me, though, at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. I'm eager for your support for this month as we come to the end of the month. We still are short for the radio for this month. I wait on you, the Holy Spirit, to move in your heart to say, yes, support this ministry. Thank you to the many of you who are doing that. That's how we're still on the air. Go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com, and you can give online. You can also watch many of the other videos that we have made lifting up Jesus. If you need to enroll in the School of the Holy Spirit, come and Enroll with us. Information on where we worship and what time is all on the webpage. You're welcome to go and find where we worship. And you're welcome to come. I'd love to see you. I'd love to meet you. Oh Lord, I pray your blessing for each person who has listened today. I pray that they will drink deeply of the wine of Jesus Christ. That it will be effervescent and filled with joy and cleansing and washing. I pray they will have their sins washed away. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. God bless you. I pray God's mercy for you. And I pray that you will drink deeply of that fountain of Jesus' blood. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon. you before the presence of his glory.